Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. And the Oscar goes to Meryl Streep, the Iron Lady. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I, (laughs) when they called my name, I had this feeling I could hear half of America going, oh no. Oh, come on, why her again, you know? But, whatever. (laughs) Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2012 ceremony year win for Meryl Streep for The Iron Lady, playing Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Best Picture this year went to The Artist. Best Actor went to Jean Dujardin. Best Supporting Actor went to Christopher Plummer for The Beginners. Best Supporting Actress went to Octavia Spencer for The Help. We already did that episode with Rob Brown. Lots of fun. Check that out. He even showed up with an autographed headshot of Octavia Spencer. I realize this is an audio program, but trust. And Best Director went to, I'm going to pronounce this so wrong, uh, Michel or Michel Hazanavicious for The Artist. I'm sure that I probably pronounced that wrong, and I apologize to uh, whatever, wh- whichever country he is from. It's a French movie, so let's assume let's assume France. I, I don't know. Um, okay, so today I am joined by uh, <laughs> somebody who is is saving me one more time. Every time that she comes in, uh, she always saves me. And uh, her a comedy album went to number one on iTunes called Magically Malicious. She uh, is on CBC Gem, available in Canada at the Halifax Comedy Festival that you can check out and stream online for free. Uh, it's Fiona O'Brien. Hey, Fiona. Hello, Kyle. It's lovely. Sorry, it's-, it's lovely to be back. It's St. Fiona. That's what it always is. Yeah. Um, this is the third time that I've gotten you out of a bind. <laughs> and I would like to just say, there's a lesson here to be learned. Focus on the people who are there for you. That's true. <laughs> and forget all those fucking wasters that say they'll do the show and then don't do it. Well, it's so funny because I don't even th- I don't even remember like having to ask you to sub in. I always think of you as like one of my main guests. You're like in my top three. <laughs> But today you're my top one. <laughs> nice save, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, I, I know how to play it smooth. So, okay. Um, it's interesting. Whenever we were talking about like which year we were going to do, um, and, uh, like I always like to ask my guests why it's funny because I have, this is the 70th episode and I have realized that like we've done the majority of like the modern era of the Oscars when it comes to a leading role. I think um, this Meryl Streep year, but then I also have um, Sally Field for her second Oscar. And then the rest of them before this are all 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, and 30s. So um, I'm looking forward to the next era of the Oscars, but uh, why did you pick Meryl Streep, the Iron Lady? Was it slim pickings or was it, I, this is like a particular year of interest? Well, I tell you this, I loved the movie, The Help. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'd never seen oh. Albert Knobs. And so I was like, you know what? I, I would enjoy sitting and watching those. Now, and we'll get to this when we discuss Meryl Streep. <laughs> As an Irish woman, I wouldn't normally pick to watch The Iron Lady. And I have avoided watching it 
until now. And that tell you how much you need to love and respect me. Oh, well, then that's actually going to be a great point of view then when we do talk about Meryl Street. But you're not from Northern Ireland. No, I'm from, Did you just... I'm from the Republic of Ireland. So do all like Irish people just hate Margaret Thatcher? Um, some of them. The ones that don't have Stockholm Syndrome and love the British. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably we'll going get to get cancelled by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some Irish listeners, so maybe. Um, okay, well, that being said, though, um, let's just jump into our first nominee. Actually, it's interesting. This uh, year for me was actually the first time that I ever actually like sat down and really watched the Oscars and appreciated it. And I like, watched all five films was this year. Okay. So this is kind of like a little bit of a special year for me. Um Okay, so let's talk about Michelle Williams first in My Week with Marilyn. So this is a very uh, fun movie uh, based on a true story, but of course it's greatly exaggerated. So Colin Clark, um, who is played by Eddie Redmayne, is an employee of Sir Lawrence Olivier, and he documents the tense interaction between Olivier and Marilyn Monroe during the production of The Prince and the Showgirl, which was released in 1957. Kenneth Branagh, another Irish person, mm-hmm. plays uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier very well. Um, and it's a very... Okay, so I've seen this movie before. This was when Michelle Williams, like... Uh, I think this is her second nomination or her third nomination, but it was like her second in a row because she had just been nominated for Blue Valentine and she was really demonstrating her range. And this is when everybody was like, oh my God, remember when she was on Dawson's Creek and now she's like Heath Ledger's baby mama and she's like being nominated for all these Oscars and she was just popping off. And at the time I didn't, I wasn't really that much into uh, movies very much. I wasn't very much into old Hollywood. I didn't really know very much about you know, Marilyn Monroe. So this movie was like a fun little, um, you know, type of easy watching. Cause it's not like too, it's not about like her later years or anything like that. It's mostly just sort of like the difficult times that she had, like with addiction and, um, relationships. And while she was trying to film this movie with Sir Lawrence Olivier, I mean, Listen, it's a fun movie, but you can obviously tell that this is like a Harvey Weinstein uh, incarnation production of some kind because it's very um, lead actress focused. It's very feel good. It's very like you could watch it with your mom kind of thing, uh, which he makes a lot of movies uh, like that, like Chocolat, Shakespeare in Love, you know, um, The Iron Lady. And so this particular movie with Michelle Williams, I would say that she nailed the look. She nailed the voice. She made the character sympathetic, but I have to say, wow, Marilyn Monroe was like kind of a dumb bitch. Like, I feel like that's going to get me canceled. (laughs) That one's going to get me canceled, but there was just a lot of like people letting her be the selfish holding up set and production for hours kind of person because she was so iconic and so hot mm. it's like you know how you can't just say you can't say no to hot people like if a hot person's like hey can you walk into oncoming traffic you're like what time <laughs> like it's just that's just how we're a very superficial society yeah. so it's like they were just enabling her so i found this movie and the performance a little frustrating because she was just getting away with everything because she was so cute and gorgeous and sexy and all of those things but I guess that's what makes her interesting. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
But this was fun watching Michelle Williams in this movie. And I've seen it before and it was a nice little revisit. What did you think about this movie? And what did you think about Michelle Williams? I had also seen it before. And um, I tell you what blows my mind. I don't think this was an Oscar worthy (laughs) mention or performance. No, like Michelle Williams is a very fine actress. Uh, Wonderful. But I kind of watched this as nearly to me. This is nearly like a Hallmark movie. Okay. Right? That's the vibe I get from it. And I remember when I watched it going, thank God I didn't pay into the cinema to watch this. It was on the television. So (laughs) I enjoyed it. It's kind of a bit of fluff. You get a bit of history. You get to look at Marilyn. Um, And I would have been a fan of Marilyn Monroe. um, And I liked, enjoyed all her movies. And, uh, and, and listen, she knew what she was. She knew that everybody was after her for her looks and for her status and that she was like a legend and beautiful and everything. Um, but she also wanted to be seen as uh, a serious actress. And, and sadly, that never really happened for her. Um, but Michelle Williams did a great job. I don't think the movie was great. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought Eddie Redman was great in it. Kenneth Branagh was great. Um, Judy Dench. I enjoyed the movie. But I just can't believe I'm sitting here talking about it for an Oscar show. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's interesting because it was like a fine performance in like a n- not because you're saying that like you didn't mind like the movie, but like you're saying that the performance was kind of just fine. It's like with Meryl Streep, it's like this amazing performance in like a really boring movie. And I find that with a lot of these nominations, especially with the Harvey Weinstein pictures, it's always like they kind of just single out like the acting in movies that are kind of just like fine. Like, I don't know if this is like a movie that I would ever like revisit outside of this podcast. Um, But there were some really nice moments, like compliments to Michelle Williams for playing uh, Marilyn Monroe in a likable way when she was, in my opinion, as a as a as a performer, as somebody that works on stage, as somebody that has been on television productions, I hate when people hold up production. Yeah. There's always that one diva. And you and I were actually talking about him <laughs> before we jumped onto this <laughs> recording. So I do I do resent that type of behavior. I don't think anybody, yeah. um, no matter how talented you are, should ever be doing that because at the end of the day, people on set are there way longer than the stars and putting in so much more um heavy lifting physically and mentally. And so I just really don't respect that a lot. And apparently she was notorious for this, for like not knowing her lines and being super late and stuff like that. But Michelle Williams played her in a likable way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very tricky to do when I already find that type of behavior resentful. And she also was really, really good. And I feel like as an actor, this would be hard. She was good at bad acting, acting. Yes. Yes. Right? Like scenes where she would have to be not good. She was <laughs> playing that well. But you, I, I feel like you have to be very calculated. It's like, I can't remember what it was. There was like some sort of a sitcom actor that was saying that like to play somebody that's perceived as kind of like the dumb character or like the duh, duh character, you actually have to be very smart. It was probably one of the actors from Three's Company. I think, well, do you remember French Stewart from Third Rock from the Sun, Harry? No. 
Well, it's kind of like that. Like, he just very, like, he was perceived as, like, the quote-unquote, like, dumb character. But, like, to be able to play the character in that way, it's very tricky. Because then when you see him outside of that role, it's like, whoa, like, who are you? Like, Like it's a performance. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But I think she had a lot of really nice moments. A lot of really great scenes with Eddie Redmayne. And I think there was definitely a part of me that was just like, God... I wish that I was like this sexy movie star that like all the guys wanted to have sex with. God almighty. <laughs> you know? Well, as, as a hot woman, I can tell you it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody wants that Fiona O'Brien magic. Yeah, they do. They're always after me lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> we were eventually going to get you to say it on the show I and know. we finally got it. We finally got it. <laughs> um... But yeah, I mean, I guess being chased by men and just giggling, it just seems fun. Michelle Williams made yes. it seem fun. Yeah, I, I loved that this was a pattern. I loved that she had, in her character had done this before to um, the guy who plays Sky in Mamma Mia. I can't remember his name. Beautiful guy with black hair. Um, I've never seen Mamma Mia. What? Yeah, I don't like musicals. Oh, shut up. And also, I, I was listening to your <laughs> podcast the other day and you haven't done Funny Girl. That is my favorite movie in the whole world. Oh, so we'll, we'll do that. You can tell Andrew Johnson feck off, or else we'll have, to have the three <laughs> of us on it. I think he wanted to do uh, Joan Crawford. Oh, uh, okay, Mommy yeah. Dearest. No, for um, oh my God, for uh, it starts with an M. Oh my God, this is I'm having <laughs> oh, a brain know. fart. Mildred Pierce. Oh. Wow, <laughs> there we go. Jesus, no, that's way out for me. Um, but but so the guy who this the the actor who had been her assistant before in in the movie. And he said to Colin, Eddie Redmond's character, she does this. She, you were going mm-hmm. to have a, a whole fling with her for a week, fall madly in love with her. This is what she does. It's a pattern. And I actually loved, I, It's a, for me, I don't know, from the perspective as a woman, I loved watching her ensnare him, trap him, make him fall totally <laughs> in love with her, and then use him like a toy get exactly what she wanted, get him infatuated, get him to be her shoulder to cry on, get him to be drop everything for her for the whole week. And then it was like, okay, goodbye. I thought, I thought she did that amazing. She did do that amazing because it almost seemed like she didn't know how to do anything else. Like that yeah. was like the one thing that she knew how to do to have that sort of power yeah. over men. But what's interesting is in real life, um, the guy who played uh, Colin in real life, he actually had um, contempt for Marilyn Monroe and uh, he actually only tried to seduce Lucy who was played by Emma Watson. Watson. Yeah. I always, there's so many Emmas. Um, And he actually thought that Marilyn Monroe was stupid. So this movie is like greatly exaggerated just for the purpose of the story. But like, you know, like that doesn't deter me from enjoying something because it's like if people are watching a movie thinking it's a documentary, it's like you're stupid. Yes. Um, but I one thing also too that I did really appreciate that it that um because she did have uh she was very complex in the sense where it was like Eddie Redmayne would literally just be like, Well, if this lifestyle is causing you so much pain and depression and loneliness and stuff, it's like then walk away from it. But like she doesn't want to walk away yeah. from it. And that conflict I thought was like very interesting. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you. I do actually see why she was nominated for this Oscar. Do I think that she would have won this Oscar in this category? Probably not. I think that would be insane. But I do think that she won the Golden Globe for this movie for like comedy category. 
because this movie's hilarious. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, 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 I enjoyed the movie, but like I'm saying, I was like I was watching a Hallmark movie, and I liked Michelle Williams. I just, I don't know. It didn't blow me away. It was kind of a bit of fluff. Yeah, I, I would. I would have to, that was like um, Mrs. Henderson Presents with Judy Dench when she was nominated for that Oscar. I feel like this is kind of similar where, you know, good performance and everything like that, but the movie was kind of just very fluffy and you're kind of like, well, this was fun, but I don't think I'll ever kind of revisit this, but like thumbs up, like good job. Yes. Yeah. And I, I only recently watched another movie about Marilyn and it was on, was it on Prime or on Netflix? Um, and blonde, blonde blonde, or blonde. Yeah. And so, you know, in my little peanut brain, I was in my head. I'm like, I kept trying to having to focus on, no, this isn't that movie. (laughs) Mm. This is about this guy and this week and the Prince and the Showgirl and, um, Lawrence Olivier. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. What a wanker. (laughs) Right. Was he? I mean, again, I'm more on his side because he's the director. And then what's her face? Paula Strasberg, played by Zoe Wanamaker, was literally like just the barrier between um, getting production moving along and, uh, you know, holding everything up by enabling Marilyn Monroe's uh, insecurities. And yeah, well, why I think he was a wanker in the film is he knew exactly what he was getting. He was oh, literally right, yeah. buying her face for the poster to get ratings and get his movie seen. I don't think he gave a shite about her as an actress. He knew if I have Marilyn Monroe in this movie, people are going to watch it. Well, another thing too, and that's interesting that you mentioned the Mar- like Marilyn Monroe persona, is that at the core of her insecurity for her character it's like she wants to be loved for what's her name norma jean yes yeah she wants to be known and loved for being norma jean but like she doesn't want to be necessarily only loved for the marilyn monroe persona and i think that there's this sort of um she feels conflicted of like who she is as a person it's like is she norma jean or is she marilyn monroe and i think she doesn't know who she is and i think that that contributes to like you know, the drugs and the yeah. alcohol and the insecurities and the men. And it's like, she, she, but this is what I'm talking about with like enabling hot people problems where they can just be like, mm, I just don't feel like it today. And you're like, of course, no problem. You're gorgeous. That's fine, babe. Yeah. I don't want to work. Like yeah. it's, you can just kind of get away with that whenever you're yes. an icon, I guess. Well, I and know. it's also that theory. And I can't remember who said it. And it was a French, apparently a French woman said this, that men use love to get sex, but women use sex to get love. And I oh, think that's that is classic Marilyn Monroe. Yes. She was craving love, knew that she was stunning, knew that she had sex appeal, knew that men would fall at her feet, but all she ever wanted was to be loved and respected. So she gave it up thinking, oh, I'll reel them in with my body and my looks and then they will love me. And they used her. I think Michelle Williams played her well as a sympathetic character. And I don't know, I'd say like overall, I would give it like a solid A minus as a performance. It was good. Yeah, she was, she was good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She was good. I don't know if, I don't know if she was like, um, it's also because of the movie itself. It's just sort of like, 
for us watching it, like we could get away with it, but like I don't know how many like straight men, for example, would be like, you know what I feel like watching. I know nobody would. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 fun to watch and to discuss for a podcast, but yeah, it's maybe not a movie that I would um just casually watch. Yeah. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I'm the same. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Viola Davis and the help. So I'm not really going to be repeating a lot of the facts that I had mentioned whenever we did the Octavia Spencer episode, um, but I will just say some things that I thought were kind of funny. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard hung a photo of Hilly, the like awful racist character that she plays, above her toilet because she says, quote, that's where Hilly belongs. Um, and one thing that I find very interesting about this role, and I do want to take this into consideration when talking about the performance, is that Viola Davis actually regrets this role due to its white savior narrative. And she feels that it is not necessarily the voices of the maids. It, it is the voice of the white women. And when you watch it back during this time, people weren't as educated as they are now about those types of narratives, white savior complex, obviously BLM hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole Oscars so white that hadn't happened yet. So this kind of movie is very significant because it probably got the conversation if it hadn't already been started, especially since Halle Berry won for monsters ball and then like never again had a black lead female one again, cause she's there still hasn't been one. Uh, since Halle Berry. So it's like this was probably a breaking point for a lot of people of color in the industry. And this movie started that or continued that conversation or maybe added some fuel to the flame um, about these types of stories and this type of like white savior complex and narrative and stuff like that. Um, but I will just say, uh, I, mean, I don't even really know if I need to mention what the help is about, but very quickly, an aspiring author during the civil rights movement of the 1960s decides to write a book detailing the African-American maids' point of view on the white families for which they work and the hardships that they go through on a daily basis. And um, Emma Stone is the author in question that we're talking about. Although, frankly, I think it's ridiculous if I need to explain this to you and you've never seen this movie before because it is an incredible film. That being said, Viola Davis's performance is iconic. I think that it is arguably my favorite performance of hers. Um, I think that she may have... <laughs> no, I think she debuted this snotty nose crying in doubt, but she, you know, uh, reprises it very well in The Help. Um I love this movie. I love her in it. And I know how she feels about the rule, but I'm still going to praise it regardless. Um, so what did you think about this movie? And what did you think about Viola Davis? Yeah, I love this movie too. And I have, I've watched it a few times. I think it's one of those that I kind of watch every year. Um, but I have to say what you're saying about how uh, Viola Davis has said this um, since making the movie. It, I'm watching it through different lens now. Right, yes. And that definitely changed it for me. And maybe I needed to watch it like that. I think so, too. I mean, I remember when this movie came out, I was working in a call center for Bell in internet tech support, not to brag. And there was this meme that was going around, and this was when memes were, like, exclusive to Facebook, and, like, they were, like, in albums, and, like, memes just weren't really a thing yet. And I remember the one that I always remember, it was this is, like, the first, when memes first started happening was 
uh, it was a picture, a poster of the help, but the title had been changed to white people solving racism. Oh my gosh. And I remember when that, cause this movie came out in 2011. I remember when that I looked at that and I remember really thinking about it and really considering it. And I remember being like, oh yeah, I can totally see why somebody would say that. And that was, this is again, me talking about like, you know, my own privilege as a white person. It's like that had never occurred to me, you know? And then you're like, oh shit, like that's so true. And like, that's so fucked up. And you're right. Watching this movie through like a different lens now that we have been educated, it's kind of crazy. And it's like, just kind of maybe a little sad that this movie is really not even that long ago. It's like 11 years old. You know, like if they were to make that now, right? Who's gonna do it? How is it gonna be? Like, I, I really, really looked at it through a different lens, and it changed it for me. I still love the movie, but I was looking at it differently. I mean, it's interesting. Like Viola Davis in this movie, though. If we just because absolutely, I, I do. I just thought it was very much worth mentioning that, and that's how she feels yeah. about this role and this perspective. And I completely agree with her. But just talking about this performance yeah. by Viola Davis personally, I think it's a career best. It is so compelling. It is so heartbreaking. Every moment of the movie, you're just, you feel for her and everything that she's been through, like with her son, with the children that she raised, the way she gets fired, what, and like every way that she um, navigates each scene where it's like, uh, she finally just decides that she's going to help with this book. It's like, you get her character's motivation every step of the way and you are rooting for her every single step of the way. And um, it's just like by the, at the end, the last fucking scene when she's like walking and crying and she's walking down the street. Bitch, I am crying. I am bawling my yeah. eyes out. Yeah. And amazing. I can honestly, but of all the performances, that was really the only one that like brought me there. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. She's, she, it's an amazing performance. And I absolutely 100% believed this character and I went on a roller coaster of emotions with everything she was going through and my heart was breaking and I just, mm-hmm. she's amazing in this movie. Like such an amazing actress. Also shout out to Jessica Chastain in this movie. I always kind of forget like how good she is because yes. she was nominated for a supporting role. Yes. And, and and can I say, lovely to see Leslie Jordan. Yes. I, 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 I watched the movie and I went, oh my God, there's Leslie Jordan. <laughs> I know. R.I.P. Yeah, God it's, bless him. Uh, God bless him. But uh, interesting. It, it was fun seeing him in that movie because I only think of him from like Will and Grace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that too. But anyway, uh, Viola, fantastic, fantastic performance and iconic and wonderful in this and and I'm it's, it's an amazing story um and and I would watch this movie every single year and yes I might look at it a bit differently now but that doesn't take away from her performance and her her chemistry on screen with um sissy isn't it sissy am I getting the, uh, no no not um sorry I'm getting the name wrong with this because she's She's Abilene yes. and then Emma Stone is Skeeter. Yes. And Sissy Spacek was um, Hilly's mom. Um, yes. Sorry. So I'm, I'm thinking of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to. I wrote down the name and now I can't find it. Constantine, like Cicely Tyson? With Minnie. Her relationship with Minnie. 
Abelene. Abelene. So Viola's on-screen chemistry with Octavia. Am I saying it right? Oh, Minnie Jackson, Octavia Spencer. Yes, yes sorry. I'm having a complete... Sorry, <laughs> I, I, like, led you with, I led you there. Um, <laughs> their on-screen chemistry, it, I just absolutely... Every time they were on the screen together, I was smiling. Even when it was sad stuff, I just loved watching them interacting and working together. Um, two amazing actresses. Well, the scene whenever at the end they get Brit into the church and they're all clapping and then she brings her up, Abelene brings Minnie up on stage and she doesn't want to, but then she does. Yeah. Um, you can totally see why Octavia won that Oscar. Yeah. And I think Viola Davis actually won the Screen Actors Guild Award for this in the lead role. So I think a lot of people were like, is it going to be Meryl? Is it going to yeah. be her? Like, who is going to win this Oscar? Um, I don't know, though. I mean... Would it have, like, if Viola Davis would have won that Oscar, like, do you think, because I know that she said that she regrets this role for obvious reasons, but then would that add to the conversation of, um, you know, black, black stories uh, and and the, the narrow point of view uh, in the way that they're told? Because she was a maid in this. So it's like if the next winner after Halle Berry was Viola Davis and she, for playing a maid, it's like, would that also contribute to the, like, you know, these are the only stories for black people and these are the only roles for black people. If she had one, um, you know? With- I know. Well, I mean, the thing is, it was, you have to look at the time. It was a story from that time. You know what I mean? And so she was playing a character of that time and, and this is what this lady probably would have done at this time, at that point mm-hmm. of time in history. I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 I just, I don't know if you can really win here. You know what I mean? Like, even if she does win, then someone's going to have a problem with, with with that as well. I don't know. But this performance by her, it's like, especially the monologue about um, how her son died. Yes, I have that written ha- down too. Oh my God. Like, I had like a box of tissues. Oh, I <laughs> like, just watch, I was like crying yeah. Yeah. my fucking face off watching this. It's, it's certainly the most compelling performance of the bunch. Um, and you can tell that Viola Davis, like you can tell that Abilene, she's just this broken down shell of a person and she carries the weight of the world on her shoulders. And it's just a very heartbreaking, compelling, amazing, everything performed. It's just, for me, this is like my favorite performance of Viola Davis. I know that she, she does, she regrets this role, but like, I love it. (laughs) Yes. So thank you for doing it, Viola. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So, so, so good. Um, and <laughs> all the kids turning out so well in the South, you know, because these maids like raised all of the white kids and then all the white kids have all these lovely manners and they're very respectful and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, maybe they're born with it. And you're like, maybe it's Abilene. Oh, my God. Uh- <laughs> that wrote itself, Kyle. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I had to. I just had to. Uh, can I also say that actress who played Mae Mobley, you know, who looked like Honey Boo Boo, the little girl? Yeah, the, you was kind. Yeah. You was fun. What a great actress to be that young and be able to take those um, directions. I thought she was brilliant. I think so too. Acting, especially for a child, like I can't even imagine. No. That's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Viola was also amazing. Bryce. Bryce Dallas Howard, though, I think is like a, a oh. really good at playing the victim. And my favorite is when she has that cold sore 
And then uh, Allison Janney comes out. And she's like, oh, honey, no husband wants to come home to that on your face. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that. And I loved when when Abilene was talking to Miss Hilly. And she's like, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Like, just yeah. from being such a bitch. Or like, aren't you just tired being such a gee bag? Sorry, that's an Irish <laughs> word. Um <laughs> You know, and it's just the exhaustion and how she says it. I was like, I'm fucking tired of her being this. You know, I just, I don't know, the way she delivered her lines and her interaction with each character, she was fabulous. Viola was fabulous. Okay. Five stars. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Unless there's something you'd, uh, something else you'd like to add to her performance before we move on. Nope. Hey, Best Actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning, ad-free, by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Okay, let's talk about Glenn Close in Albert Knobs. And now the first time that I watched this, the last time that we listened to the podcast, uh, because Jenny McTeer was nominated... Uh, for supporting. So we actually talked about her on the last podcast episode. Again, I'm not really going to be repeating a lot of facts from that. Um, But (laughs) that being said, uh, very quickly, Albert Knob struggled to survive in the late 19th century Ireland where women weren't encouraged to be independent. Yeah, that's not just in the 19th century Ireland. That's still happening. That's still happening. Posing as a man so she can work as a butler in Dublin's most elegant hotel, Albert meets a handsome painter and looks to escape the lie that she has been living. Now, I want to address something very quickly because the last time that I had talked about this movie, I had insisted that likely... Um, Albert Nobbs was what modern times would refer to as transgender. And I very much argued that point on the last episode, but after reading more about this movie and focusing more on Glenn Close, because the last time we were focusing so much on Jenna McTeer, I actually read that Glenn Close has like argued many times in many different interviews and said many times that she does not believe that Albert Nobbs was transgender. It was truly just like a survival thing. Yes. I, that confused me too. It yes, especially with like everything that now, and we're talking about like you know non-binary, gender queer, trans yes. lives and stuff like that. So this kind of story um, could be maybe a little confusing, and I think uh, I still personally think that it's like a trans situation. But if they said that that's not the situation, then it's not the situation. Also, this is a made-up story, so <laughs> whatever. But that being said, though, so Glenn Close uh, plays Albert Nobbs, and I got to focus on her this time, where the last time I was focusing on Janet McTeer, and I remember I loved this movie the last time that I saw it, and I loved all of the performances. But watching Glenn Close this time around, I think that the reason why I love the performance is also the reason why I'm not crazy about the performance the second time around, because... She has to play knobs in this sort of low emotion, 
um, sweet, quiet, reliable man. Let's just say maybe a little bit of a dull person kind of way, because that's how a man in 19th century Ireland who believed in duty and working for a fancy hotel would be. So that's why Albert Knobs works. But that being said, it does make for a bit of a, other than like the, the amazing gender bending gender fuckery that's going on. It is a little bit of a boring performance. Just, just a little. It's like, that's why I love it, but because it's like, that's exactly what she was supposed to do. But then it also kind of makes for like a little bit of a boring performance. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, what did you think about this movie? And what did you think about Glenn Close? Fucking boring, right? Like, when I tell you boring, like I stopped to take a weed gummy to see if it might improve the film, right? Okay. (laughs) Holy shit. And I wrote, I went, okay, weed gummy kicking in now. Let's go. Right. So... How have I never seen this as an Irish woman? And I know why, because nobody in Ireland said, go watch this, it's great. (laughs) She looks like the Irish Ellen, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's funny. For me, Kyle, it was like a two-hour SNL sketch of, I I could just picture, I can't think of her name, I'm so bad with names, the menopause, um, an actress, who's the woman from Bridesmaids, the main actor? Kristen Wick. Kristen Wick. All I could see every time that uh, Glenn Close walked into a room as Albert Nobbs was Kristen Wick doing an SNL sketch of Albert Nobbs with the eyes wide open. And, oh, oh really? Oh, <laughs> where am I? What am I doing now? And I just have to be in the background. And I'm like, fuck off. I just... <laughs> This movie did me head and I was like, when is something exciting going to happen? Even one of her tits fell out as she was getting changed. And then Janet McAteer realizes a woman. Even that was boring. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I swear to God. That ex- most exciting bit for me was realizing Brenda Fricker was in it and must have had to put on weight. Did she play the cook? Is that who Brenda Fricker was? Where was she? Her character's name was Polly. I couldn't find her. So I'm like, where is Brenda Fricker in this? Unless she's after putting on about 70 pounds to play the cook. Was yeah. That oh, was that who it was? That's what I was trying. So I was more excited to find out Brenda Fricker, where's Wally in Albert Knobs than I was about Glenn Close and Albert Knobs. <laughs> I feel like though some of the 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 great scenes with um Glenn Close is when uh Hubert Jenic McTeer uh catches, you know, Albert Nobbs as a woman when they have to like share yeah. the room together. Um which wow, you share a room with one person one time and you give yourself up. Yeah. First chance you get. That's that's hilarious to me. But um, the way that uh, Glenn Close is like cowering on the floor and is so ashamed and doesn't want to be caught and is terrified and this sort of like mix of emotions, very well done. And, you know, Glenn Close is such a chameleon and is so good at playing these kind of like androgynous roles and, um, you know, from uh, like Fatal Attraction, like you can see how like feminine she can be. And then in something like Albert Nobbs, you can see how masculine uh, she can be, and it's actually this performance is rated as like one of the top five like gender bending roles like of all time. Um, there was Barbara Streisand and Yentl. There was um, uh, 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 for Boys Don't Cry, uh, Hilary Swank. 
Um, there was just this list and, and Glenn Close was on it. And I totally get it because I think that Glenn Close did a good job at playing like a guy. Because when you're used to watching an actress, there's just this sort of impressive emotional arc that a lot of women can do so beautifully, um, where a lot of male performances tend to be more uh, less emotional and more authoritative. I don't really know like what exactly um, the difference maybe between like a male actor and a female actor and like the main differences that we notice. It's just that whatever it is, I think that she nailed it because I think that she was convincing. The only thing that took me out of it though, and I think that they maybe should have fixed this up was her neck was way too thin and her shoulders were not broad enough because Janet McTeer looked like she had some padding. Yes. Yeah. So I think maybe they could have done that with Albert a little bit because the the neck was so thin. And I realized that they covered up her neck so that you couldn't see an Adam's apple. But like her shoulders weren't wide enough and her neck was too thin. So I think maybe they could have um, adjusted that like a little bit. I should have but apparently, Albert Knopf. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently Glenn Close played this role on stage in the early 80s, but like didn't actually have like the proper makeup to like really look like a boy. So it was like the illusion was okay. that the audience had to just be like, okay, you're Albert Knopf. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I was like... Was Albert autistic, OCD? It's kind of like um, a 19... When was the movie set? 19th century Ireland. So, yeah, no, 19th century, to me, it was like, looked like Ellen, but Rain Man. Yeah. (laughs) Working in an Irish hotel. And yes, like, look, I'm Irish. I understand you've got these people who are totally repressed not everybody, but in this age, this man <laughs> would have been total or woman pretending to be a man trying to make a living because they have a dream of owning a, a, a tobacconist um, and buying some property. And the only way to do that would be to be a man. Um, and I get that, but I think they could have played that up more. It was very, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just very, I, I was left confused. I was left <laughs> kind of bored i was like okay i'm going to do some amazon christmas shopping online you know (laughs) um you got your gummy going the best bit for me was it's filmed all around dublin i'm from dublin there was port marnock beach there was hoth i could see um ireland's eye i could see the cliffs of hoth like all from where i come from and so i was like oh look there's my home and so that for me was cool and it was cool to see (laughs) dublin i thought like I have to say, Glenn Close is an amazing actress. And, you know, I don't know. This, I was not impressed with this at all. <laughs> but you're saying that the cliffs, like, they nailed it. The, yeah, I am. T- the scenery was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, like, kind of sad, like, how we go through this whole journey of Albert Nobbs. And then I hate when they're just like, let's just kill off the main character yeah. at the end. It's like, oh God, like I know it's an Irish movie, so it has to be sad. (laughs) Like it was, I just, I, when, when he died, I was like, oh, that's like really fucking sad. But I just was like, I don't know. Like, what was the point of this movie? (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I was confused. I I wrote down, I'm like, is Albert a trans man? Um, A lesbian? I'm totally confused. The voice? Doc, what was that voice? Like, I don't, I've never heard anybody have a voice like that. It wasn't even an, it wasn't even a fake Irish accent. It was, 
I was like, what is going on? And why did Glenn Close take this role? Like, I was, bu- it annoyed me. Yeah, it it was an interesting choice, but you know, this did uh, resurrect her career. I mean, she had been doing a lot of successful things on television throughout like the 90s and the 2000s and stuff like that. But um, her return to movies and the Oscars was because of this, because I think she'd been nominated like five times at that point. And then this was like her sixth. And then she was nominated again for The Wife. And then she was nominated for Hillbilly Elegy. So yeah. I think she's at like eight nominations now, which is how she coined the like, or how she gets the nickname like Glenn Always So Close, but yes. like no cigar <laughs> to the Oscar. Yeah. And, and I love you know. her and I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because she'll hate me. <laughs> but I just don't think Albert... I didn't get the character Albert Knobs. I'm not don't take away from Glenn Close, fabulous actors. I don't think it was the right role. I don't I don't know who else could have done it, but I just I, I wasn't enamored by this movie or this character. Ugh. Well, I you know, I but I liked her. I liked the the role. I liked the story the first time that I watched it. I but I know I just this second time around it I found it just like a little a little dull. But yes. That being said, my favorite scene in the whole movie is whenever Janet McTeer and Glenn Close, they like dress up as oh women. My God. They- so they're like women who, women playing men, men playing. playing women. And that I thought was really, because they were so stiff yes. and awkward. And I feel like that would be really tricky to do. And I thought that they did that scene at, like beautifully. And I always think of that scene yes. whenever I think about this movie. Um. Okay, a couple couple things about this movie. So Glenn Close not only starred in the movie, but she also co-wrote the screenplay, wrote the original song for the film, interesting, and she also produced. Uh, yeah, so this was uh, Glenn Close's second time playing this role because she first played it in 1982 in off-Broadway stage production, and she won the Obie Award. And I'm just trying to think if there's anything else here that I would find interesting. Nah. Yeah, uh, most of it has been covered on the previous episode, yeah. but I um, tell you, my favorite character was Pauline Collins as the housekeeper of the hotel. She was it's fantastic. Uh, it's Shirley Valentine. I love Shirley Valentine. My one of my favorite movies ever. I love it too. And Pauline Collins is, and um, she should have been nominated for an Oscar because she played a very, very typical Irish woman with the loose tongue the twitching net curtains, getting into all the gossip, <laughs> letting the Lord do whatever he wants because he's a Lord and turning a blind eye to everything because your man has money. It was like watching my mother, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, okay, so let's move on to Rooney Mara for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, Trigger warning for anybody listening. There are some very dark themes in this movie um, that we will be mentioning. Uh, themes of sexual assault, themes of rape. So if that's a little triggering to you, maybe just kind of skip ahead. Um, but I just want, I thought it would be considerate to just give a little trigger warning yeah. there because this is a very dark yeah. film. But anyway, very quickly, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh Okay, journalist Michael Blancvist is aided in his search for a woman who has been missing for 40 years by young computer hacker Lisbeth Salander, who is played by Rooney Mara. And this movie series, uh, which is based off the books, was made famous by Numi Rapis, who was actually nominated for a BAFTA for Best Leading Actress for uh, the Swedish film 
the girl with the dragon tattoo. And then a year later was when this movie came out with Rooney Mara. And the fan base is actually very, because I haven't seen the other movies. I think they're all in Swedish. Um, Maybe I'll watch them one day. But uh, I know that the fan base is actually very conflicted because they say that the movies are obviously similar, but also very different, especially in terms of like the chemistry of the lead character with like Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara and Numi Rappas and whoever played Daniel Craig's character in the Swedish version. And it's just um, a very... Uh, it's 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 like the American Hollywood version of the girl with the dragon tattoo, and this is the only version that I've seen. So, uh, if anybody is a bigger fan of the Swedish person, don't come for me. I haven't seen it, and I don't know what I'm talking about. So, uh, Rooney Mara, this is where we really got to see her for the first time in in such a big way. This role was originally offered to Jennifer Lawrence, but ultimately they felt that she was too tall for the role. Um, and this movie was also originally um, offered to Natalie Portman, but she didn't take it due to, quote, exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this movie, like, all of those piercings on her face, by the way, are real. Wow. She Like, they're not – I don't know why she would commit to it, but she was like, no, like, I'm really going to commit mm-hmm. to this role. She lost a lot of weight for the role to have that sort of bony look because that's a big part of – they mentioned, like, her weight a lot in the movie and, like, possible eating disorder and her metabolism. That comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, but I just have to say, oh my fucking God, there is that one fucking scene and you know what I'm talking about with fucking, um, Yorick Van Wegingen, who is the ward to her, she's like the state ward to her finances and he like brutally rapes her. Oh my God. When I think about this movie, I think about that scene. I think about what an actress would have to go through. To not only prepare yourself for the scene, but to fucking act it out. It's like Jodie Foster in um, The Accused. In The Accused. I think we discussed yes. that episode. And oh my God, when I think about this movie, I always think about this scene. It is so upsetting to watch. It's like I had to kind of like fast forward it a little bit. There was just, there's a lot of dark shit in this movie yeah. that just feels so real that it's very difficult to watch. And just like props to Rooney Mara for doing it and going there. And I can't imagine how brave you would have to be to do something like that because I'll tell you, for me, that's a quick no. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Anyway, what did you think about this film and what did you think about her performance? I had never seen this film. I don't know why I had it in my head, but I must have heard how graphic it was. I mm-hmm. thought it was a horror, that it was a horror movie. So I I hate horror movies. I'm a big scaredy cat. So okay. <laughs> I knew I had to gear myself up for this. This was the last one I watched. I watched it yesterday at 11 a.m. with a, like, Cup of tea and biscuits, all the lights, the <laughs> oh, house, no. all the curtains open so nobody would murder me. I didn't know what was coming, but I knew something horrific was coming. So um, I I actually enjoyed the movie. Um, I am very aware of Rooney Mara. I, I know more about her love life and about attending Oscars and things like that than I have mm-hmm. seen her acting. And I thought she was fantastic fantastic mm-hmm. in it and that scene you were talking about holy shit and people who religiously listen to your podcast will know how worked up i got about the accused yet again i fucking yeah. hate all men yeah like that's what that scene left me with but how do you feel about her revenge that she gets i on have him? written underneath she should have won the oscar for that scene 
know. Holy shit. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It was like incredible to the point of, yes, you want revenge on somebody, but what she did and how she, how she got her revenge. Um, I just, for like, I can imagine this person reading the script and going, I have to do what? I know. <laughs> and then go, I yeah, know. fucking sign me up. I'm like, fair play to you because like you say that was tough stuff to film i mean her character too like she's very standoffish she has the look down for sure she's kind of like robotic like socially and you're like i'm already like kind of hooked in because it's an atypical lead character that you would see for a female role um I wish they would have done the whole series of films um, again. So maybe that's why I have to watch like the Swedish ones because apparently they're amazing. Okay. Uh, but I, I'm also like um, committed to Rooney Mara in this role now, you know, and I'm like, I, I want to see more. Um, but anyway, um, this is a side note though. I have to say the moment that you see Stellan Skarsgård, like you're like, Oh, he did it. <laughs> he just, he has the look and he has the sound like you're like, you sound like you bury high school girls in your basement and <laughs> surprise, yeah. he does. Yeah. So I just, I thought that was kind of like lazy casting because you're just like, well, he did it, obviously. I know, immediately I was like, it was the brother. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I also love the way that they kind of like establish the relationship with the audience and the characters and you really get to know them because she and Daniel Craig actually don't come together for their first scene until 1.5 hours into I the movie. I wrote that in. I was like, wh- where, where is their connection? How are they going to connect? I was like, what's happening? And it took that long. I love that. I It's like super unorthodox. Yeah. And this movie actually won best Oscar for editing. Okay. And I can definitely see why. I love the pacing of that. I love the way that we got to know the characters. And I love the way that Rooney Mara um, was portrayed as a victim but also as a hero yes yeah and there was kind of just this balance and it was like the victimization because of the crimes and assaults that happened to her as a woman but then also the way that she kind of gets revenge in the most fucked up way that this character would and it was just so satisfying to watch as a viewer that you're like oh my god like yeah (laughs) like fabulous but like you're saying it took so long for them to meet up in the movie it was like i was watching i had to really really concentrate and i didn't take a weed gummy it was um (laughs) i was like i was watching two separate movies Mm -hmm. and then i was like when are they going to meet up because they have to work together and i kept the whole time going okay so they're establishing his character and now we're establishing her character and they're both on two very different journeys and it took ages and i was like when is it going to happen so i was getting impatient even though you're saying you love that bit i was like i need it to happen um (laughs) but yes so but what but i found when they joined forces i was nearly like i was watching a third movie it was there was a lot going on a lot of mm. it, a lot of information about different peoples and and different um, the family tree, uh, Harriet's family tree. I was just like, who's who's a cousin? Who's a brother? Who's a sister? Who's a granddad? Like, there was a lot of information. I wrote that down as well. I had really had to pay attention. Dense plot. Yeah, it did become maybe a little 
frustrating at one point because I actually turned on the subtitles because I just needed to read all of the information because I just was like, I don't want to miss any details here because there's so many details. That did become a little frustrating. Um, But I feel like one thing... Uh, that because you know you find out about all of these it, these fictional uh, women who have been murdered on this island, and you're like, oh my god, like this is so fucked up. But for me, the catalyst of like, hey, now we need to find the killer is when they like dismembered the cat. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's when I was like, okay, now you've crossed the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I, what took me out of the movie, I was like, they've all of this money. They're going to wine cellars. They're going like yeah. when Martin goes to the wine cellar, he hears a noise. Oh, somebody must have left something open. I was like, he so has a woman tied up in the basement. You know, I immediately felt that. But he's living in this absolutely stunning house built out of glass nearly. Um, and it looks so beautiful. And they have money coming out their ears. And then Daniel Craig was put in this cottage that seemed to have no heating. I'm like, why is it be freezing? Where's the radiators? They've loads of money and he's burning books. I'm like, what's going on? He was like staying in like Hagrid's shed <laughs> outside of Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, who asked somebody? They're paying him a fortune. They're bringing him in to, to discover the mystery of what, what happened to Harriet. And then they put him in a fucking stone house with no heating in winter. That, th- that like, brought mm. me out of it because I was like, I need a blanket. I need to put on another cup of tea. He's freezing. <laughs> That's true, actually. Um, I also love like the sex scenes between them oh. because like Rooney Mara was very like on top and like in control. Um, I thought that was pretty sexy. I didn't like it. Oh. I wrote, why are they having sex? <laughs> I, yeah, they have like kind of awkward chemistry, but like I thought it was kind of hot. Um, <laughs> I also. I, also... I want to know. Oh, if yeah, go for it. Down. Daniel Craig has a lot of moles on his back. I noticed that one too. I was like, is that like an injury? And I was like, oh, he has like moles. But I can't say anything because I have so many moles on my arm. Oh, no, I don't mind anybody having moles. But I was like, I've never seen them in James Bond. Do they airbrush out all his moles? Probably. I He did have, I noticed that. I did clock that. It's when he was in Hagrid's uh, yeah. cabin. And yeah, he took off his shirt and I was like, oh. I know it's that too. Apparently, though, critics were saying that like her accent didn't sound Swedish enough, and a lot of people argued that she sounded like Eastern European or like Russian or something. Well, I wouldn't be the best expert on that. I thought her accent was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for an American audience, yes, sure. Yes, um, but I thought she was fantastic in the movie. Oh my god! Like you're really believing this. I don't even know what age she was supposed to be in the film. Um. You're, you're looking at this lost soul, like trying to get their way, navigate their way through life. And obviously massive trauma has happened to this person and the trauma responses and, but a hugely intelligent and canny person. Like I thought the character was fantastic. Um, I thought that the ending was like, unnecessarily sad it went from like the girl with the dragon tattoo to like the girl with the broken heart you're like why did that need to happen it was and i'm like oh are they like setting it up for like the next one which i can't remember what it's called it's like the girl who played with fire or the girl who kicked the hornet's nest i don't know which one is next but well you know what i'm gonna say it's yes again (laughs) the that age-old pattern of monumentally being let down by men (laughs) <laughs> I'm, <laughs> it's 
such a bitter divorced woman. <laughs> I mean, preach girl. Like I think that if anybody has the right to say it, I would say it's you. That's what I wrote down. I said, here we go. She's the pattern of monumentally being let down by a man because that's what happened to her through the whole movie. And I thought that's why they capped it off with him also letting her down. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like looking over some of these facts here and um, I think most of these things about this movie are mostly about Daniel Craig. It's so silly, but she is the movie. Like without her, like you don't have a movie. Absolutely. And nearly almost like an anime cartoon character. Right. Yeah. It was fabulous to watch because I felt like I was actually watching this unreal character come to life in a film. Like I thought Rooney Mara was amazing. I think so too. Um, I'm definitely a fan of this movie. If you haven't seen it, obviously trigger warning, like brace yourself, but like, it's definitely worth the watch. Also, another thing that I always think about this movie randomly, like just not just because of this podcast, but I mean like over the years, I always think about when she takes the golf club to his jaw. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I've, I always think about every couple of years. I'm always like, Oh yeah. I remember when fucking Stellan Skarsgård just took it to the face. (laughs) Like, you really don't like him. I do, he's so he's so good at playing terrifying and creepy because he's kind of like a little. Well, you uh, need to see him in Mamma Mia. Huh. Well, he was in what was that house where it was like the house of broken glass or the glass house or something like this, and he kind of plays like a similar creepy, creepy character. Okay, you love, anyway, you love him in Mamma Mia. <laughs> okay, I gotta force um, you to watch that. Well, speaking of Mamma Mia, let's talk about Meryl Streep. So do you have anything else that you'd like to add to Rooney Mara before we move on? Um, No, but I think definitely deserved an Oscar nomination. Beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about Meryl Streep playing the Iron Lady. Take a deep breath for this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be hard for you, but very quickly. So, um, an elderly Margaret Thatcher play uh, talks to the imagined presence of her recently deceased husband as she struggles to come to terms with his death. While scenes from her past life, from girlhood to British Prime Minister, intervene. Um, I didn't love the pacing of the movie. I thought this movie itself was really boring. Olivia Coleman uh, comes in as Carol Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher's daughter, wearing the nose that Nicole Kidman wore in the hours. I don't know if it was just lying around and she's like, I'll put this on. Yeah. It was such a distraction yeah. from the performance because I was like, what is wrong with Olivia Coleman's face? I Googled, did she have a nose job? Yeah. Oh, right. After it this. just, it looked absurd. Uh, but... Meryl Streep playing uh, Margaret Thatcher in this movie. You know, I'm used to um, the Margaret Thatcher from The Crown, played by uh, uh, Gillian Anderson. But her Margaret Thatcher was more like, your majesty, how are you today? Like, it's this really intense, deep Margaret Thatcher. So before I watched this movie, I, like, watched a couple interviews with, like, real-life Margaret Thatcher and actually, Meryl's is closer than Gillian Anderson in terms of, like, the voice. Yeah. She absolutely lands the accent. But, of course, it's Meryl Streep. Like, of course, she's going to do that. Um, she won the BAFTA for Best Lead Actress. So I think that's high praise indeed when it's coming from the UK, giving you Best Lead Actress. A lot of people this year were like, why didn't Viola Davis win? It's so ridiculous that Meryl Streep won. She shouldn't have won. But when you watch the movie... The one thing that I will agree with most people, oh my God, this movie is so boring. I love boring dramas and I love movies about like um, 
sovereignty or yeah. British royal stuff or um, any kind of historical thing about Europe. I always find that stuff so interesting. So I'm already like, oh, yeah, like I know I'm going to enjoy this movie because it's about like politics and it's about history. So like I'll enjoy this. Oh, my God. It was so it was such a boring movie. I had to pause and take breaks. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. It, it felt like fucking three hours. But that being said, her performance being singled out, I completely understand. And I think that her performance as Margaret Thatcher, she had the look, she had the sound, she had the mannerisms. Um, she made the movie. She's the only reason to watch the movie. And she's the only interesting part of the movie, in my opinion. And I can completely see why she was nominated for this Oscar. And I can completely see um, how her campaign worked at this point. Because this was her third Oscar, uh, the big argument that um, Harvey Weinstein made in the campaign was, you know, Meryl Streep hasn't won an Oscar since Sophie's Choice in like 1982, right? So it's like, or 1983 or whenever she won. But the point is, is just like, you know, it like she's way overdue. And that was part of the narrative of why you know, should she have won for this movie compared to her other like 25 other nominated performances? I mean, I think that's something that we could totally discuss, but I can see why she won and I can see obviously why she was nominated. But the only criticism that I'm going to give is not to the performance, is to the movie. This movie is so fucking boring. <laughs> so I would never rewatch this movie ever again unless I had to. Hey, did, da anyway. did Daniel watch us? Yeah, he did. And he checked out at about an hour and okay. 10 because we were trying to get our cat. We got this new like obnoxious water fountain for our cat and he will not drink water from it. So about an hour and 10 minutes in the movie, he's like, fuck this. I'm going to go and train, train the cats. Like, fuck Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, I just can't do this. Yeah. Okay, so what did you think about the movie? What did you think about the performance? I have avoided, as an Irish woman, I have avoided <laughs> watching this movie. Because yeah. I had enough of fucking Margaret Thatcher growing up my whole life, right? Fair enough. I do not need to see somebody else pretend to fucking be here and have to watch all the bullshit. Um, having said that, I came into this movie going, I'm going to fucking hate it. Um, she wasn't a popular person in history for an Irish person, okay? Mm -hmm. This movie, let me tell you, I came <laughs> out of watching it going... I actually kind of like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, High praise. Right? Like, <laughs> like I grew up, so I was born, I'm aging myself now, 1974. Okay. So the IRA were very active, 60s, 70s, 80s. I grew mm. up with the bombing of the hotel in Brighton, with the bombings up in Northern Ireland, with Margaret Thatcher being in charge and with the hunger strikes and Bobby Sands and his crew um, going on hunger strike and the dirty protests and letting those men die in hospital. Or sorry, jail, letting them in prison. Should have been in hospital. Um, so I grew up in a home hating Margaret Thatcher. And mm -hmm. that was just on our news constantly. And yes, mm -hmm. I don't agree with terrorism and all of that as well. So I was watching this through a lens of, oh, I just remember growing up and my family hating Margaret Thatcher. And I remember all of these historical things. And I would have been quite young, but I remember them happening. And I remember being all over the newspapers and all over the news in Ireland. So it was actually kind of very interesting for, for me to watch it and go, oh my God, I was 10 when that happened. And I remember my mom and dad talking about it. I remember this happening and this happening. And anyway, I thought Meryl Streep 
was fucking fantastic. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. The mannerisms. Because I grew up, all, all I would ever hear when the BBC News would be on in Ireland, not that we'd watch it a lot, or the UTV, which is Ulster television. Ulster is the north. Um, was Margaret Thatcher was their prime minister. And our prime minister at the time was Garrick Fitzgerald. He was our Taoiseach. That's what we call our prime minister. And so... Oh. It was all about the Anglo-Irish agreement and Margaret Thatcher would be on the television constantly. And then there was um, Spitting Image, which was a TV show like Puppets. I don't know if you ever heard of Spitting Image. And it was there was always a puppet of Mar- Margaret Thatcher. And so, so she was a huge part of my childhood and growing up. And, and so for me to see Meryl Streep do her, mm-hmm. she nailed it. Oh my God, oh, the good. accent, the mannerisms. She was absolutely amazing in this role well it's you didn't even you didn't even really recognize her at first because at the beginning of the movie she's like an elderly version of margaret thatcher and um i just gotta say that meryl streep is for for me the best scenes was when she was like playing the elderly version because it she's really good at playing like confused old british woman like just in terms of like her mannerisms, but also like um, she also does. This is a weird compliment, but she does really good like teeth yeah. acting. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of great teeth acting, uh, and it, just the fact that she can take these big, ridiculous, caked-on prosthetics and and really sell it and make it real. I think that's a credit to. The acting. Also, I want to shout a shout out to Alexandra Roach, who played the young Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Very well cast. Very, very good performance. Mm. Um, Dennis Thatcher and Jim Broadbent remind, reminded me of his performance that he won his Oscar for in Iris with uh, Judy Dench. So it was a bit of a familiar performance, but good casting there. Oh, um, I love playing Jim Broadbent, and and I they, they were my favorite scenes. I I really liked whenever she was like older and confused yeah. and uh, having the um schizophrenic uh episodes and obviously I know that the um the Oscar scene was the when she's talking to the foreign press secretary from the states about the Falkland Islands and that monologue where she's like now shall I play mother yeah. and she's like tea do you take it black or white like that was like her big Oscar scene and you can definitely see why it's the most like intense she's like don't fuck with me kind of um personality but frankly the intercut of her going through uh you know um it it was alzheimer's wasn't it i think Uh, so i think so wait hang on a sec i'm just gonna double check that because i could be her husband whoops because i know that she starts yeah she starts like losing her mind uh well let's assume it was it was an altered reality of things that weren't there so let's just assume it was schizophrenia uh, or alzheimer's or or i don't know I, I i'm not a historian i can do like a quick google but like we're <laughs> this is a timed challenge uh but anyway when she was having all of those issues um I think that that's important because that's relevant to her life. But frankly, I was kind of a little bit more interested in her origin story and like, um, like what it was like being a woman in parliament and being the only woman and working her way up. Because when they showed that she had won the majority for the election to become prime minister, I would have liked to have seen more of that journey. It was kind of just like, I won the election. Yay. And they just kind of moved on. And I feel like they focused on the, 
or maybe they like got it wrong what they thought the audience would be mostly interested in because she is this as you're saying, not so well-liked historical figure. So it's like, oh, well, how do we make her likable? It's like, let's show her suffering at, at old age and how difficult that is for her being lonely and stuff. Yeah. I think it was kind of a bit of a mistake because the thing that I would be mostly interested in is her um, sticking to her guns and her origin story. And we got some of that, but I wish that we had more of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I loved the origin story. Um, I, I wasn't aware of it, um, but... Uh, my favorite parts, and I thought she was fantastic in being in the house um, as elder, as the older Margaret Thatcher um, and Jim Broadbent and the conversations they would have. And even she was like, put on your scarf. Uh, yeah, like she's talking. He's not even there. And then she's looking out the window and she's coming in and out of reality. Oh, oh, and she's getting annoyed. You didn't put on a scarf. And I just her mannerisms and how she shuffled around and how you're, I just love that this character was, you know, the head of Britain through some of the worst history and the times they went through and has dealt with heads of state from all over the world. And next thing is an elderly woman shuffling around a house, wishing her husband was still there and still making him a boiled egg for breakfast in the morning and thinking he's sitting at the table with her. Um, and it just showed me the side of this woman, you know, apart from the career Margaret Thatcher, there was also the wife and the mom or, you know, just just a woman fighting for women's rights and for women to have a voice. And I just loved all of that. Um, I... Okay, so I just looked it up. She had dementia. dementia. It wasn't Alzheimer's or schizophrenia. It was dementia. Okay, I don't think that was clear in the movie. But anyway, so if anybody is like just, you know, outraged by what <laughs> you just talked about, it was dementia. I apologize. Um, and yeah, so that being said, I guess that is true to sort of see like how she was the Iron Lady, but then in the end, she's like this vulnerable, lonely woman. I just don't think it was effective. I just don't think that it was as effective as they had intended it because like I said at the beginning of when we started talking about this, I just thought it was so boring. It's just this incredible, wow, Meryl Streep is an amazing actor performance, but it was just, it was just so boring. Uh, The movie, um, but you watch it for Streep, obviously. Um, I thought it was, this is just something that I thought was very funny. As the movie progressed, she turned into and started to look more and more like a vampire. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> well, I just wrote down just the image of my ex-mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was a vampire. Um, I also love whenever she stands up to her cabinet, um, especially whenever she takes it too far and then she realizes that she's wrong, but she can't admit that she's wrong because she keeps being like, no, be like a man and be arrogant. You're always right. Yeah. And um, I like how tough she is. I like how um, her relationship with her daughter is very complicated. Obviously, her son. Oh, she um, adored Mar- Mark. Yeah. Mark was her favorite. And um, I like that, that they beefed that up a lot. Um, I think also another great acting scene is whenever uh, Dennis finally leaves and she says that she doesn't want to be alone. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just so emotional. Yeah. Uh, it's just if we're just talking about the acting like a plus plus oh yeah absolutely i like yeah. meryl streep was unbelievable in this unbelievable it's just i understand why people are like how did she win an oscar for such a boring movie and you're like well 
I mean, Meryl Streep has always been known for not making tons of money at the box office because she makes more like, you know, academic type yeah. of pieces, n- not necessarily these big like Hollywood blockbusters. Yeah. And, and um, I think for anyone of a certain age, like me, uh, who are Irish or English, um, they may view this movie as a bit more interesting than than somebody from Canada or America. Do you know what I mean? They may have. True. Now, I still found it a bit boring, you know, and I took a few breaks, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, I would say I enjoyed 60% of it. And then there was that 40% that I was like, oh my God. Hel- Help um, me Daniel with the cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta get him drinking water. Uh, a couple of facts about this movie. Um, at one point, I don't know if you remember, but Margaret Thatcher is shown making ice cream and she gives it to like a voter. And it's like the worst like soft serve <laughs> you've ever, it's like lopsided and sad. But it was like during an election campaign. It, it, this is actually true. In her early career, uh, Margaret Thatcher was actually a chemist who was involved in developing the emulsifier for that particular type of ice cream. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Meryl Streep earned a million dollars for her work in this film. However, she donated her entire salary to the Women's History Museum. Now, isn't that lovely? That's lovely. Um, and this film, and this obviously goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, coming from Ireland and stuff like that. This film was not welcome in some areas where Margaret Thatcher was very unpopular. The town cinema in Barnsley refused to show it. In Chesterfield, a group opposed the movie picketing outside the cinema. That's probably why I have never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's Meryl. It's an amazing performance. The mannerisms, the accent the voice, the way that she carries herself as an older person. And then like as the younger Margaret Thatcher, um, it's just, yeah, I can completely see why she was nominated for this. I can see why she won. Um, and it, 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 yeah. Amazing performance. Just kind of a mm, movie. Okay. All right. So I think that that time has come for us to pick who we think that the Oscar should have gone to so you are my guest of honor so please uh go first to reveal who that you think should have won i think the oscar should have gone to meryl streep for the iron lady okay why i just thought it was like i was watching margaret thatcher she did such an amazing job i thought she was fantastic but that's high praise coming from you as an Irish person too. So, yeah. well, I know. I mean, I'm not giving Margaret Thatcher a feckin' Oscar. Let me get that straight. <laughs> <laughs> this is Meryl Streep's work of playing yeah. Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was fantastic, and um, and and you know, kind of made me see her in a different light, and kind of a bit of res- I shouldn't really say these words are coming out of my mouth. A bit of respect for the what she did for women in history and and I wrote that down as an Irish person I shouldn't be mad about this I shouldn't like think it's great whatever but as a woman I think she did a lot Mm -hmm. yeah whether you like her or not or agree with her or not you still have to you know acknowledge that she being the first female prime minister in the UK it's it's a remarkable achievement yes and and Meryl Streep and only Meryl Streep could make me say that that's very true. Okay, I love that. Um, oh God. Okay, I am so conflicted here. I know you hmm. are. I know you are. Oh. Okay. Well. Uh, okay. I think that the Oscar should have gone to 
Viola Davis for the help. <laughs> now, the only reason why I would not say Viola Davis is because uh, she says that she regrets this role. And I understand that. However, all work is all a product of its time. Yeah. And it's just something that we can learn from in the future. But if we're just singling out the performance, for me, the most compelling, the most heartbreaking, the most I didn't have to check out and I was just zeroed in on them the entire time from start to finish was Abilene. It was Viola Davis. And Meryl Streep in this movie, if we are talking about who gave the better technical performance, I would definitely say it's Meryl Streep. It's just that for me, this movie is so boring. <laughs> and in this podcast, if people have listened to it before, I've awarded Meryl Streep the Oscar at least four or five times now. So I think that it's time to just, you know, switch it up a little bit. I totally see why Meryl Streep won this Oscar. She totally deserved it. But just for me, for this podcast, for this episode, I'm going to go with Viola Davis because I... I prefer the movie, and for me, it was just a more compelling performance. Meryl Streep knocked it out of the park, but it's just a personal preference. It'll be Viola Davis for me. And it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Well, Fiona O'Brien, thank you so much for saving... St. Fiona, thank you so much for saving me for the third time. the next time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We'll book you for St. Patrick's Day. It's it's already (laughs) in the calendar. (laughs) Um, Where can people find you on social media? Um, You can find me. Oh, TikTok. Please follow me on TikTok. I am flying the flag for divorced, angry women on TikTok. (laughs) It's beautiful. Um, You can see me. Twitter if that's not dead, uh, at real Fiona O. And on Instagram, Fiona O'Brien, Facebook, Fiona O'Brien. I'm there. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest and we will have you back again. Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.